Okay, hello everyone and uh, welcome back to Creative Land. I have to start this podcast by saying a huge thank you to all of the people who are supporting me. It's it's crazy. I had no idea whether or not my family and friends would even listen, <laughs> let alone be so supportive of what I was doing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, that support. And I think what I'll do is start with some housekeeping stuff. I don't know if I'll do that every time, but I think in the beginning it'll help myself keep uh, everything I'm doing straight as well as keep you guys uh, in the loop on what I'm working on. So I am up on Stitcher now. Uh, There are no images, so there's no branding up there. I'm working uh, with the support team. I'm just waiting to hear back from them actually because I'm just wondering if it has something to do with paying to be on that platform. I I truly don't know, but I will let you guys know. However, you can actually listen to my podcast on Stitcher if uh, you use that app. Okay, next I want to talk about uh, the format of the podcast. Uh, The first thing is that I will be adding an intro and outro jingle, um, you know, to brand me up and make it unique and more engaging to listen to. And I have the great fortune. I mean, it's insane. I am surrounded by quite a number of talented musicians. As many of you know, my child is ridiculously talented in the musical world. And uh, my husband, I think a lot of you don't know, actually writes and produces music as well. He keeps that majorly on the down low. So I'm calling him out. (laughs) Maybe you guys, uh, when you see him, can be like, when are we going to hear your stuff? Uh, But he's actually going to help me with this. And I love the idea of working with my friends and family to make this podcast highly unique, as well as creative supporting creatives, just something I have always been a huge advocate of. Um, Also, in regards to the formatting of this podcast, I think what I'll do is do two a week. Uh, That's my goal. I don't know how... I just don't know if that's attainable given my schedule, but I'm really going to attempt to do that because I know um, when I get really interested in something, I actually feel very frustrated when content isn't released that quickly. Um, Again, obsession of mine uh, watching, for example, homesteaders and, uh, you know, they're busy people, they're homesteading. And I just, it's like, I just want to see them every day and see what they're up to. So I will try to keep that schedule And uh, the approach will be that on the weekends, I will record a podcast for creatives. So more along the lines of what I'm working on creatively, uh, ideas, uh, inspiration for other creatives, regardless of the creative field uh, that you work in. And then during the weekday, I will do a podcast, uh, excuse me, a podcast about homesteading. So that will be where I talk about my search for the land, how it's going, uh, different technologies and things that I would like to use on my land, etc. So um, I'll definitely make sure that the titles and uh, the um, formatting within my website is kind of clear so you guys can sort. So if you're more interested in the homesteading stuff, then you'll easily be able to follow it and uh, vice versa for the creative stuff. Okay, so without further ado, I want to jump into this week's creative theme, which is going to be perspective. It's an interesting one. And again, let let me just clarify, when I say perspective, I don't mean the technical approach that uh, painters will use, for example, to um, create a three-dimensional looking world on a two-dimensional substrate. I mean perspective in terms of emotional perspective uh, or mental perspective. Sometimes as creatives or artists, we have a tendency to overlook really fundamental things that should be uh, a part of our foundation, of our creative foundation. So I notice that many of us tend to really work on the technical side of our craft, but we don't necessarily work on the emotional or mental 
um, bricks that we should lay in order to be unshakable. Like you need a foundation. And that doesn't just mean that you need resources in your studio. Of course you need those. But if you don't have emotional and um, mental stability, then you're going to hit walls really quickly, especially in the creative world. Storms are going to come and they can really rock your world. So you need that within yourself, like a true dedication and it's almost like having your own reservoir so that you're not reliant on anything external to yourself to keep yourself motivated keep yourself grounded uh, understand that you can so to start us off on perspective I thought it would be fun to maybe go back and look at how I have placed bricks if you will for building what it is I'm working on today and again I am probably one third of the way in but I wanted to start this podcast so that people could watch me grow it the rest of the way and maybe learn from me and I could learn from them because something about an online media platform is that you get feedback and you get to interact with other creatives and other people who are having similar journeys so whether it's just to bolster you up emotionally or to exchange knowledge that you can both learn I just think it's a wonderful thing so I started painting, gosh, I think my daughter was maybe like, I want to say three, and uh, she's 21 now, and this is how it happened. It was crazy. We would watch, you know, regular television, and these commercials or infomercials and stuff would start coming on, and the one that caught my attention was uh, for a product, and um, there's... If you're not familiar, there's a technique out there called toll painting. And um, basically what it is, is that you kind of copy other people's designs and you're given the numbers, for example, of the proper acrylic paints you should buy. And you're given the size of the flat brush or the round brush or whatever it is you're doing. It's kind of like um, a more advanced paint by numbers. And I'm not demeaning it at all. It's such a fun craft to do. It's so fun. You can make some really beautiful things from your home. Um, but for those people who don't have a history in art or aren't trained, it's wonderful because basically an artist has taken the time to develop techniques that allow you to paint pretty well right from the get-go just by following what it is they do. So an infomercial came on for Donna Dewberry one-stroke painting. And uh, I won't go into that, but what happened was I kept watching these videos just completely enthralled. Like, I don't even know why. I just couldn't stop watching them. And I remember turning to my spouse one day and saying, you know, I can do that. And I didn't actually know what I was saying at the time, like where I was going to take that. But I knew that I could do that. And to be honest, I think I even had an inkling back at that time that it meant more than I can just toll paint. It was like, I can do that. Like I can build a career, which Donna Dewberry has done, um, out of something creative. I think that's where my heart was, even though when I was voicing it, I'm pretty sure people were interpreting that as, you know, I can toll paint. So I was not a painter or an artist before that. I would say I was a creative and... um, I think I'll do a podcast on that at some point, sort of all the things I've done creatively. But I had never picked up a paintbrush since I was in school, the way that we all do. And um, I went and found all of the supplies. And instead of doing it on um, house decor or boards that I would hang on the wall, I just went and got some canvas boards. Uh, So I wasn't using wrap canvas. Again, didn't know anything about painting, didn't know what quality was. 
you know, I got, I went to a dollar store, I think, and bought horrible paints. Uh, they were not good quality paints and horrible brushes. The bristles were coming out. They were just cheap. Like everything was cheaply made and we were not uh, rolling in cash back then. So it was a bit of a stretch because it was like picking up another hobby, but maybe without the financial financial means to, to see it through. However, I was determined to, so I did go buy all of those things and I started painting. It was as simple as that. I just made the decision to do it, which is something that creatives, I believe, struggle with at times. We think you, the circumstances have to be perfect. I have to have this and I have to have that or I have to know this or no. The truth of the matter is if you want to be creative, you could literally do it right now. You could stop this podcast and start writing a poem. Like you can do it in your head. You don't need things to get the ball rolling. Um, just You just need that drive that you want to be creative. And that's what I had. So I started doing these paintings and man, they were horrible. <laughs> I wish I could say like, oh, I was a virtuoso. It was amazing. I did amazing right away. No, not the case at all. In fact, I was doing uh, the Donna Dewberry things on these canvases and uh yeah it just didn't look like what it was supposed to look like but for some reason that didn't deter me I didn't feel um like giving up it, it made me want to get better at that because I can see all these other people uh who are so good at visual arts and for myself I'm just not one of those people who is going to give up I mean especially if it's something that you really really want to do so I started working on that harder and harder and it wasn't very long before I got a little bored of copying other people's work, if you know what I mean. So I started thinking, well, what if I just started painting things I want to paint, like just anything I can see visually. So I started looking on lines and found a whole bunch of uh, pictures of flowers. So instead of using her technique to make these one stroke roses, I wanted to actually paint, just paint, free paint a rose. And my first one I did, um, man, I'll always remember, I actually have a picture of it still. And it wasn't like, it wasn't technically proficient, but I was so proud of myself because what I was doing was looking at a picture and using whatever little ability I had at the time to transcribe that vision into something tangible that I could touch. So uh, one of my first paintings was this pink rose it ended up actually actually looking a bit like an abstract painting, like I meant to do it that way, but truly I was trying to do something much more realistic, but just didn't have the technical ability to do that. And the reason I bring up that painting in particular was because it was the first time I just tried to paint something without being shown specifically how to do it. And because there's a story that just means so much to me. Um, in order to keep this going, I could see that it was going to cost money. So I quickly learned that I wanted paints that were just a little better quality and brushes that were better, better. And of course, canvas, uh, even if it's just canvas boards, it's not, it's not cheap. So I thought to myself, well, how can I do this? And I didn't want to keep like 3000 paintings, you know, by the end of it, I didn't want to keep all the stuff I was practicing on. And at the time I was highly into buying things on eBay. So I was thinking to myself, well, what if I just sold the paintings basically for what they cost me to make? I thought that was a brilliant idea. I was like, then I can learn something highly creative and love doing that, but not have it cost my family in terms of the limited money that we had at the time. And so I did that. I opened a store on eBay and just really was 
didn't know what I was doing. And in fact, the story of that painting is quite funny because I listed it for a dollar. Now you have to remember, you, you do have stores and stuff on eBay, but this is like, this was a very long time ago. And what it was more at the time, or at least what I was focused on was an auction type thing. So you set a price, like you might have a, you know, a minimum price that you wouldn't let it go for less than that. Uh, and then people bid from there. Now, being naive and new to this, I listed that painting for a dollar, which was not what it cost me. It cost me obviously more than a dollar to make that. Um, but I thought people would bid on it because, you know, I'm like, well, eBay's worldwide and I just can imagine this big bidding war. And honestly, it was hilarious because my highest goal was like, I'm going to sell this for like $12 that I'll even make a little more than maybe I spent on it. So I put it up and I listed it for a dollar with no reserve. So <laughs> um, only one person bid. So they got that for a dollar. And I, I don't even remember if I actually added uh, postage. Like I think it cost me money to get this out. Um, but something happened with that painting that was really unique. So I sent this painting off and I got this email and I'm going to try to tell this story without getting choked up. Honestly, it makes me cry all the time whenever I try to tell people of this. The woman who bought that painting sent a side email just outside of the transaction of eBay that said, thank you so much for creating something so beautiful and making it affordable to those of us who, you know, don't have thousands and thousands of dollars to drop on art. And again, I'm not saying that art isn't worth that. I'm just saying just as I was a new uh, person creating art, there are people new to collecting art and we don't know what their financial means are. In this case, it was even more powerful because the woman explained that her entire house had just burned down. So she lost everything. She, she had no money. She told me how she lost all her beautiful possessions. She didn't know what she was going to do. And she had just felt completely defeated and thought, I'll never own anything beautiful again. And she said, I was on eBay and I came across your painting and I bought this painting. Oh man, I'm trying not to cry. Knowing that... It would be the beginning of me rebuilding and collecting beautiful things for my life. Sorry, that makes me really choked up because as an artist, what is it we're trying to do? You know, we're trying to affect people. We're trying to affect change. We're trying to bring joy. You know, in case of movies, maybe you're trying to make someone rethink something or be feel anything that you want them to feel. And that's the beauty that is within anything creative. You have the ability to affect other people, negatively or positively. And, um, I think affecting people positively is just something I innately want to do. And I'm so happy that I started off my career. I'm using my air quotes there, uh, with selling my first painting for a dollar because it led me to a connection with a woman that laid the foundation for what I wanted to do going forward, which was create things that brought joy, hope, inspiration, anything positive like that to other people's lives. I mean, what else is there? Like, it's amazing. So from that point on, I started doing different things. And what I noticed was I was just trying to, again, I was looking at other painters, copying their sort of techniques. But um, I don't mean that in a bad way because it's how I learned. I didn't have money to go to university, to go to fine art school at that time. And I thought, well, learn from the people you like. So anytime I looked at paintings, if I liked the technique, I, I tried to duplicate it. Like, can I do that? Or how can I apply that technique but interpret it into my work? And I just kept taking those baby steps. And one day, um, I was actually hanging out with my sister uh, down in Seattle. And I had a wrapped canvas. So I had, you know, through this, I've progressed through 
lower end, um, you know, supplies to the higher end ones. And now I was using wrapped canvas and I had this idea like just to want to create something, but at home, the way I have it set up is I would always be looking at a picture or someone else's work. And at my sister's house, I didn't have access to those things. So a really wonderful thing happened. I felt the urge to paint, but I had to do it a hundred percent from within. Like there was nothing to look at. I wasn't copying anything. And I grabbed that and I looked around my sister's house and I started finding shapes like long boards that I could use as a gigantic ruler. Cause the, I think the painting was maybe a foot and a half by three feet. I, I'm, I don't remember. No, it would have been like a foot by three feet because it was uh, um, long vertically, something like that. And I just started going at it. And what came out of that was my first original piece, my first piece where it just came, it just flowed out of me. It was a really unique style. Um, I remember feeling really happy about it, but nervous about it in that it didn't look like anyone else's. Um, I've come to find since then that there are artists who have similar styles, but I wasn't looking at them when I did that. And I would say it falls sort of in um in like into cubism but in like not so much like picasso uh as you know picasso is obviously why would i be picasso um but it was just mine it was authentic and it filled me with like i just hope i was nervous that other people might think it looked a bit childish or but it didn't matter i had done something a hundred percent out of myself that was original and that was what i was after and I hung that painting actually in my living room where I was staying at the time. And a long family friend, actually one of my brother's best friends, um, came by to visit. And he saw the painting on the wall and he was like, well, whose is that? And I said, it's mine. And he's like, well, no, obviously it's yours. It's on your wall. But like, where'd you get it? Like, who's the artist? And I said, no, no, it's mine. I painted it. It's mine. And the look on his face was just, to me, priceless because it was of shock. Just, you painted that? Like, I had no idea. And he basically voiced that. I had no idea that you could paint. And I was like, neither did I. I just wanted to, so I started. And this is my first original piece. And back then, I had very little understanding of the value of my art or the value of creative endeavors in general. And I don't mean spiritually or emotionally. I'm talking about monetary value. Because there's a lot of nonsense flying around about starving artists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a limiting belief and we just don't need those. Um, at that time, it wasn't so much that I thought my art wasn't worth anything like that. I just had no knowledge that like the extreme prices for which fine art, original art can go for. And he just kept staring at it and saying how wonderful it was and how much he loved it. So I just turned to him and said, do you want it? Because again, for me, I was just moving the paintings out of my house as quickly as I was making them because I didn't have a room. I was in a, um, a basement suite and it was uh, very, it was small because um, I also had a daughter and, uh, you know, it was a small basement suite, not a lot of room. And I didn't have a studio or anywhere to put all this stuff. So I was happy for it to go to someone who just resonated with it like so much and he took the painting he he actually tried not to he's like no I couldn't take that because he is an art collector so he understands the value of original pieces he's like I can't take it and I said hey I would rather someone who loves it has it so that I can move on to my next painting because again I wasn't thinking of being a painter in the sense of being a professional painter who sells their work for me this was just a hobby where I could do it for free because I was selling the work for enough to 
to be paid for it. And um, on that front, on eBay, you know, I started posting paintings, putting reserves, understanding how to, you know, at least protect the bottom line so I wasn't losing money. But, um, you know, I started watching my paintings were going up. You know, I think the next one sold for $30 and it kept going and the next one sold for 75 And, you know, my turned to my husband and I was like, well, now I'm literally making a profit. This isn't, I'm not just recouping the cost. Like, I think I could maybe do this. And all those uh, ideas and that passion is born with, with a perspective that you can. And that is the perspective that got me that far was just that I looked at the Donna Dewberry video and I was like, I can, I can do that. I need to sell this work. Well, I know how to use computers. I'm pretty computer competent. And I was like, and I know eBay, let's sell them on there. I can. So it was always the perspective of I can do this that kept me going. Um, So he took that painting. Actually, he's such a lovely person. He didn't feel comfortable at all. Uh, just taking it for free and later when he came back a few weeks later he brought a Sid Dickens collectible with them and they're you know worth a decent amount of money and they're really beautiful and I just thought man I was like wow win-win I get to make other people happy and then I'm filling my home with beautiful things and you know enough money to not only cover the cost of but invest more so I can get better brushes and better paints and this was just how it happened this is how it started and then (laughs) then the sensor started popping up because I started doing crazy things again with that momentum of I can, I can. So I started entering my work in joint exhibitions and I found out from other artists that, you know, they were just in shock when they found out that I was selling my pieces online and that I was selling my pieces at all because I'm not a known artist. I don't have a following or a background. And it was just amazing. And they asked me, you know, how did you do that? And I remember thinking, well, that's so cool. I get to help other creatives too. So I showed them different things, like different places they could sign up online to show their work and sell their work because this is all the research that I had been doing to, to do my own. And that was wonderful. And I just kept going and things started growing. And when the sensor popped up, it came when I could no longer hide behind, say, my computer. As much as people think I am an extrovert, I guarantee you most of the people I run into are like, wow, you're just, you're such an extrovert. I'm massively an introvert. It's just that I don't, I think people confuse introversion because they think that it means you're shy. And that's not it at all. Being an introvert just means that you like spending time alone and you sort of fill your reservoir that way and you you recoup that way. You like being on your own. You know, you're not really the going out all the time, always partying, always around other people. In fact, when I do that, I start feeling pretty drained. So I am an introvert. I'm just not shy. Then those things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So the sensor popped up because... I had to accompany my art somewhere. I started doing like solo exhibitions and libraries. Again, I'm not a, you know, I wasn't a big artist with a huge portfolio and something else about my work, which is still true to this day, is that I tend to bounce around. So I don't just do one style. I'm just, I'm just not built that way. I'm not built to generate the same type of thing so that it could, um, go into a museum because it's curated because it all looks the same or follows one type of theme I will go from a cubist type painting and I will jump over to something like lowbrow pop surrealism and then I'll jump into completely abstract and they all are just what I want to create and isn't that the point of being a creative to do it the way that you want to do it not to conform to what other people um, think your art should conform to And so the sensor popped up because what happened was there was this big fair. I think they were, it was like a community fair where they were raising money 
and I think it was taking place in a church and uh, it said, you know, looking for vendors and artisans. And so this was the first time that I was showing art that was, I had generated quite a bit of art actually that was all original. And I was really nervous about that because the other art, like I kind of knew people would like it because I was following styles that were already popular. So I remember this one painting that I finished uh, in order to put it in that exhibition. It was called Denoise. And you can see my art at shalandra.com. Um, and please, like I, that website is currently being flushed out and built, but there are some pieces there and I think Denoise is in there. And it's a thumbnail, so you have to click into them to actually see the full piece. It's quite large. And I remember being so nervous because this is the first time people are going to see my original art. And I took all my paintings down and all the other vendors were setting up. And the more I looked at everyone else's art, this comparative thing that I used to do, I was like, I can't do this. This is literally what I was thinking. I can't do this. So I set up my art and left. So I left my booth 100% unattended because I literally was dealing with such a fear monster and uh, doubting myself and my own work that I literally ran and hit it home. And so when I was at home, I think about two hours or two and a half hours later, my phone rings and I flip it over and it's the woman, it's the, it's the organizer of this event. And she's like, Shalandra, where are you? And I, you know, totally lied. I was just so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell her I'm too scared to be there. So I said, oh, I just needed to run home for a minute, you know, two and a half hours later. And she's like, well, I've been answering questions as best I could for you, but you have so many people in your booth and they want to talk to you and ask you questions. And I think there's a woman here who wants to buy something. And I should mention that I think another reason why I was shy and embarrassed and scared to be there was because for the first time I started pricing art at a place where I was incorporating my time and thinking about an hourly wage uh, and thinking about how long it took me to make that. I remember this is, this is two decades ago. So that first painting where I took that Denoise, I believe I priced it at 500. And again, I was thinking, well, who's going to pay that? Like I had imposter syndrome. Like who's going to pay for an unknown artist, unknown artist and pay that much? I had just convinced myself that the entire endeavor was folly. And uh, so I went back down there. I honestly stalled and I didn't go back down there until I kind of knew it was wrapping up. <laughs> and I went back down there and sure enough, it was wrapping up, but she passed me a piece of paper because she said, you know, I don't know what happened to you today, but this woman wants to, wants to buy this. And so I can't remember if we did this via email or phone, but sure enough, the woman wanted that painting and she bought it. She bought it. She paid the price I asked for. I mean, I was in shock. I, I just was like, I thought everyone was going to hate it. And I guess, you know, the real lesson there is who cares if they did? This is what I mean about setting your own foundation and having a perspective, um, a positive perspective about yourself and what it is you're doing, because you aren't going to be perfect at something that you do right away. But if you have the perspective of it's exactly as it should be now, and I'm moving towards that bigger dream, whether it's, you know, better technique for what it is you're doing or a bigger audience or a certain award, etc. It's in the journey. I know that's so cliche. It's true though, because if you're always looking forward to what's going to be, then you never get to be in the now. And now is great. The paintings that weren't technically perfect, it was great because it was the it was my truth at that time. And I, I think that's something that we have to remember as creatives. We don't need everything to be perfect. And it kind of starts with our perspective. Because if we don't think our stuff is worth anything, why would anybody else? 
And it's something that I wish I had felt back then or known. I didn't intrinsically know that. It's something I've learned along the way. So hopefully you guys can hear those words. And if there's anything you're working on again, whether it's starting a business or just something about your personal health, like wherever you are right now is perfect. It's where you should be so that you can start that journey. And remember to enjoy the journey as it goes. Sure, dream about the future, but don't hold that as I'll be happy when. Like, be happy now while you're doing it, while you're falling down. Because that's actually where the happiness lies, is in right now. So, yeah, so that I just wanted to share that with you guys because my perspective was, like, I'm not good enough at that time. My perspective was, uh, nobody pays for art, etc., etc. And because I didn't have a good foundation, as I progressed with my career, it did start actually going a bit south. Um, I actually have a poem here that I wrote. Again, I, I I'm sort of a multifaceted creative, and writing is something that I do. It's a way that I communicate or sort of purge my own thoughts and feelings at times. And um, I printed it out here so I could read it to you guys. And I wanted to share it because. It's a really angry poem. <laughs> it's it's really angry. And when I read it now, I, and I keep it next to me because I'm not that person. What happened was I started buying into like all these limiting beliefs of the starving artist because I started hitting walls. I started hitting um, paywalls. I started hitting um, production walls. Just a lot of challenges. And it actually caused me to stop creating art because I didn't lay a good foundation within myself to keep going at that time and actually I've hit that wall a few times since then and it's only now that I'm recognizing that pattern and now working my way out of it which is what I would hope for all of you first you have to see the reality that you're creating for yourself and it's hard to challenge your own beliefs it's it's hard to do self-inquiry to go inside it because you always want to look outside so I, I had limiting beliefs and excuses like well no one really wants to pay for original art nowadays you know only in the renaissance times was that popular um people don't get art people don't want to support artists you know you have to starve to be an artist because that's where your creativity comes from from pain and don't get me wrong that's a huge catalyst for different types of creativity but it isn't the only one you happiness can be what actually inspires you to paint or just your own authenticity like wanting to share a message uh you know to create that song or to create to write that book whatever it is you're working on so I want to read this poem because this is how angry I was and it was just me limiting myself because as you we all know that people buy art but back then I truly convinced myself that people don't and I was really angry at how whenever I turned around looking for funding or this type of thing or that type, I just constantly kept running into walls and for me it was all external to me I was I totally played the victim this is happening to me I have no control over this why can't the world be more artistic or supporting of creative arts and artistry? So this is a poem. It's called Ratification. A poem in rebuke of the cruelty of convention. Do I shine too brightly? Forgive me. Let us confine my radiance. It is safer inside the predictable darkness of your manufactured truths. Teach me the ways of the mundane. Dissect my individuality that my pieces be not so offensive as my whole. Walk me into your divinely diminutive cage. If we but remove my wings, surely I will fit. Let us save me from myself. After all, it is only who I am. Such an insignificant sacrifice for the acquisition of your superficial approval. Are you consoled? 
I have silenced the plaintive objections of my inner voice that you might hear your insecurities more clearly. I will endeavor to adopt them as my own. Undoubtedly, there is serenity in your aphotic mantra. Let me abandon my innovation. What remains after the evocation of my creativity should be sufficiently pliable. Is my barren surface now worthy of your projections? I shall affect death that you may animate my cadaver to your content. We must entertain the undiscerning masses. The fetter of my carcass is decidedly less abhorrent than the emanation of my true self. Authenticity is repugnant. Dispatch my impudent confidence with great haste, lest it defy your self-appointed ascendancy. We only want what is best for me. It is evident that I am unable to discern such things for myself. I shall conform for your confirmation. I shall concede to your condescension. I shall follow with an obedience as blind as your edict. I will not be remembered. I will be accepted. How glorious a fate for us all. So yeah, kind of dark. <laughs> I was really frustrated with uh, what I perceived to be the limitations of trying to be a creative in, in today's contemporary society. And again, that's just, that was my perspective. And if you'll remember, when I started giving you a bit of a history on how I came to be a painter, I told you my perspective was nothing but positive. And I don't think it's a, a coincidence that there was a correlation between the amount of success that I garnered when I used the I can perspective as opposed to the I can't. Or even worse, the victim mentality of they won't let me. And... That's kind of where I want to bring it around to is just to remind each of you that we all have an authentic voice. I have no idea where yours leads you. You might not even know. Maybe it's time for you to do some self-inquiry. What is it that makes me happy? What do I want to share? And when those sensors pop up, when the thing that wants to stop you, uh, that's within you, because it really is only you that can stop you. It really is. That might be really hard a hard pill to swallow if you're hitting some challenges right now. But I know this from actually experiencing it myself. It was always me who was limiting myself whenever I couldn't do something. I recognize now in retrospective that it's because I told myself and believed that I couldn't. So then it was just a self-fulfilling prophecy. I didn't. And I don't have that anymore. Don't get me wrong. I still have nerves. And I mean, I'm so nervous about this. And I'm sure this is a very coming out quite rambly. Um, but again, bear with me because you know what? It's exactly as it should be right now. I'm learning. And uh, hopefully you guys will learn too. So I think what I want to do is leave it there. I want you guys to know that the purpose of this podcast was for you to take a look at your self-limiting beliefs. Anything that keeps you from doing things that you want to do, especially in the creative world, just change your perspective. And that's inside of you. That is not something where an external, you don't need more money to change your perspective. You don't need uh, critics to say, this is wonderful for you to change your perspective. You just have to change a perspective that says, I can't, to I can. And I'm actually hoping that uh, sometime in the future, I think I'd like to maybe write a new poem with the new perspective that I have now so that I can show you how nothing so much changed on the outside of me. Um, it was just an internal change, and it has made a world of difference. 
So thank you again for joining me and I hope to see you guys next time.